Hello, this is Toby Haydock, and I'm pleased to say for this podcast, I am shipshape and Bristol fashion. Okay, this is Toby Haydock in uh, Hammersmith Pret-a-Manger, but uh, I won't be there by the time you listen to this, so don't try and find me. Uh, And I'm with a gentleman who's been in Doctor Who, but sort of hasn't really. Why is that? Well, I'm going to ask him who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Hello, I'm I'm Dan. I'm Daniel Hill. And um, I I did six episodes of Sharda when I was... About the same age as my son, Sebastian, who's just leaving drama school. Um, he's going to be 22 in about a week's time, and I was 22 when I did it. And I was the sort of guest assistant with Tom Baker and Lala Ward. Um, and the six-part... Uh, it was a brilliant last six-parter for Douglas Adams of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Doctor Who, um, script editor and writer fame. And... Douglas's last six party was going to be, you know, the big end of end for him. And so, you know, as a Doctor Who fan myself, as a kid, I, you know, just couldn't believe it. And then we were hit by a strike um, halfway through production. And that really put pay to it. They did try to remount it, but it was, you know, it was a new producer, and I'm sure you know, everybody knows what the story is of it all. So it was a bit sad. And so when they actually did re-release it as a, a DVD, and then subsequently as a DVD more recently, it was nice to see some sort of completion on it because you know we get so used to seeing repeats and you know YouTube of various things now, you forget that. You know, for the first 20 years of my career, there were no real um, ways of watching footage that had been shot by the BBC or anybody else. They were very protective of what they had, and quite rightly. And um, so it was amazing to see oneself looking a little bit younger. <laughs> and of course, I met my wife um, when we were shooting the actual show, so... It was great, and it's really good. And the kids watch it now, and they go, look at Dad. Yeah. But it was a great shame. But, you know, it's a good show. It's a good show. I have to say, you've hardly changed. But, um, yeah. uh, and t- so, at the edge of 22, yeah. that's a good part. You're not going up for the part of, you know, um, guard, second guard or something. So was your career, you know, leading man stuff pretty much from the off? I was really lucky, really lucky. And I, when I went to drama school... I naively, you know, I don't come from a theatrical family and I lived on the outskirts of Bristol and Somerset and, you know, nobody in my family knew anybody who were actors at all. But I had a real keen interest. My school was just an ordinary secondary modern. It was brilliant. No drama. It was fantastic. And, um, and I got spotted by a guy at the Bristol Old Vic who thought I was all right and got me into... Eventually, three plays at the Bristol Vic. So I'd had a little bit of experience, not much, but a bit. And then just back at school. When I left school at 16, having got all my O-levels and all that stuff, um, the school couldn't believe it. I said, I want to be an actor. And um, so I, I knew there was a drama school in Bristol. I didn't know there were other drama schools. And so when I applied to drama school and paid my audition fee... Um, with my pocket money. I, I, I went out and I did the audition 
and they just took one look at me. Nat Brenner, who was the great um, legendary principal at Bristol, said, you know, you're too young. You're, you're too young. You're 16. You're, you're, you know, in the old days, you could have done it at 16. I'm not that. He said, but, you know, come to what they called a weekend school then, where they sort of sifted people out. He said, well, you won't get in. Anyway, so I went to the weekend school, and it was great. And then they called me up, you know, just afterwards and said, look, you can come, but you can't come this year. So we'll give you a place for a year's time. And all you've got to do is come up and see us. Nothing else, just ring up, come and see me, have a chat. And if you still want to do it, then you can do it. And I said, great. I thought it was a sort of failure. At 16, you do. But my mum was brilliant, and she... Um, she made me write to the guy who ran the old Vic called Val May and got me to... Uh, I've worked with him. Yeah, just died. I know. That's an old Val. It's a long streak of, you know, white. Um, and uh, anyway, so, so I, I, I... And she was buried, you know, little Welsh woman that she was. She said, um, just ask if you can push scenery. You don't need money, you know. My mum and dad were dirt poor. And, um, and I... So I did, and about two weeks later, I was counting screws in a job I'd got in a in a warehouse, and um, where I had to wear a suit. <laughs> I had to wear a suit, and I was counting screws, literally, stock taking. And they said, "There's a there's a telephone call for you. You mustn't have telephone calls at work. You can't have to telephone calls. What were you playing at?" So I took it, and it was a bloke who was stage manager at Bristol called Terry Bird, and he said. Uh, where are you? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm at work. And he said, oh, right. OK, he said, um, do you want to push scenery? He said, oh, you wrote to Val May. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, when can you get here? And I said, well, now. And he said, well, you're working. I said, no, I'm off. And he said, well, how long would it take? I said, about 20 minutes. And he said, um, all right, well, I'll see you at the stage door. So I... I walked out and the bloke said to me, where are you going? And I said, I'm off. And he said, you won't get your holiday money. And I said, stick it. So I got the bus, got to the stage door. And the last time I'd been there, I'd been an actor playing young Marty in... No, actually, but I'd done another play after that. But So I, they knew me at the stage door and it was a bit odd, you know, going there as a scene pusher. Anyway, so I got to the side stage and the stage manager, Terry, said... Last time you were here, you were playing a really good part, weren't you? And I said, yeah, I was. And he said, um, well, why don't you grab that great big stage broom and go and brush the stage while the actors are having notes in the stalls? And I thought, this is it. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> so I did. So I was a surreal figure walking across the stage with my great big, huge stage broom in a suit. Anyway, so I, I stayed there, I pushed scenery for six months, and then they gave me my equity card, which was gold dust. And I became a technical ASM, and then I became an acting ASM. And then I went to drama school for three years. So by the time I came out of drama school, I was 21. No, nearly 21. And it was fantastic, just brilliant. So to cut a long story short, I by the time I had finished drama school, because I had an equity card and some experience, I'd been lifted out three times by two by the BBC and twice by the BBC and once by ITV. To, I did a play with Albert Finney um, for the BBC in London, and then I did a series for schools um, during the holiday, uh, the first summer, and then I did a 
a film with um, what's his name, Chris, Chris Plummer. Yeah, and so by the time I left drama school, I was really lucky because I I knew by the end of my second year, going into my third year, what my first season in rep was going to be in a year's time. I knew what parts I was going to play. So it was a bit odd. So, so was, and I was probably a bit cocky as well. I don't think I was, but I probably was. But so, and then when I came out, I, I just wanted to do telly. That's all I wanted. I, you know, I'm a child of the 60s growing up. And to me, television was it. And so that's where I sort of put my basket. And I was lucky that, you know, I, I did a lot of drama at the BBC for six years, including Doctor Who. I did guest, you know, I was the lead in about six different television series. Yeah, I've been lucky. It's not all luck. Um, well, um, a lot of it. But, um, yeah, well, we'll talk about the, 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 the other stuff in a bit, but um, with, with Doctor Who, had you, um, had you worked with Pennant Roberts before? No, I've worked with him afterwards. Um, I did Tenko with him afterwards. Uh, and, um, but it was really weird because I, I got there and, uh, to television set for my interview and um, Betson, his wife was I, d- I didn't know who she was but she was just coming out of television centre main reception as I finished my interview with Penn and I got on well with him and I was coming down and coming out of the lift and going out of main reception she was getting in and she apparently went upstairs and said look there's a brilliant bloke who's just who's perfect for your thing who's just got out of the lift downstairs and he went who's that and she went oh it's him she saw my picture on the desk and he went it's yeah I want him to do it so um, you were cast by both of them cast by both <laughs> bless pretty good bless and was it was because I mean, Tom Tom Baker refers to you as Bristol throughout yeah, yeah. Uh, was, was that a because I came from Bristol he was and because I trained at the old bit and I got on with Tom I, you know I really got on well with him so you know um, you know I've got such admiration for Tom I think he's a, he's a wonderful guy and he's a great actor he's brilliant with the kids I've watched him spend whole lunch hours whole you know when he's working he's in every scene just constantly giving time to the kids constantly you know dishing out thousands and thousands of signed photographs and bottomless pits and long overcoats and I, and I love him to death um, and there was and no sign of because often it's reported that he could be difficult and he could be tricky and you, you didn't see any sign of that it's when you're doing you know a big series like Doctor Who and you know and it's all resting on you it's all on you and you know sometimes you know if you're if you're getting into work at, you know, 10.15 and, you know, you've been trying to learn the night before, you know, I'm talking about Tom now, but, you know, sometimes it's really hard when, you know, sometimes, you know, something slips out when someone said something that, you know, that I'm sure that, that he's got a huge heart. He's not, you know, Tom is not a mean person at all. He's not mean in any shape or form. He's got a heart of gold. He really does. And when you're under that amount of pressure 
and you know it's very hard sometimes that you know things slip out that it might be one word that's said to somebody who you know takes it the wrong way you know and that will then get round that you're you know you're difficult or whatever but um but he's always been and I've worked with him you know twice since and I, I adore him I think he's wonderful I really do I, I think he's great and he's a terrific actor I think he's wonderful because wonderful it's a wonderful cast I mean yeah it is top to bottom yeah um, Dennis or Dennis Carey Dennis Carey who was who played Professor Canotis was the principal at my drama school about 15 years before I got there so I, I liked Dennis. He was a, he was a respected theatre director. Oh God, as well, yeah, 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 very much so. Yeah, Sean O'Casey, big, big director, Sean O'Casey. Yeah, fantastic. And, and you're in that Billy Bunter as the as, yeah, I know. Porter. And what was extraordinary was when you know that that lovely chap, because um, he ran Jerry's, you know, yeah. Jer- Jerry's the drinking bar, which Tom used to go down to, and um, <laughs> when he turned up to do his stuff. You know, we were all like, you know, it's Billy Bunter. God, it's Billy Bunter. He was, he was terrific. He was a nice chap. He's gone now, I think. Yes, yeah. yes, sadly. Sadly. Um, and you you had a bit of a... Do you think Chris and Claire got together in the end? I think so. I think so. I think they were bonded by time. <laughs> uh, and, and she was just great. I mean, she's such a good girl, well, Victoria. She used to drive um, a Cadillac. <laughs> the time when, you know, most of us were driving minis, or not at all, she had this huge Cadillac, so she was incredibly glamorous. Um, she's a good girl. She's a great girl. Yeah. Her career must have been going well. She must have... <laughs> That's what I kept saying. Yeah. I said, well, where's it coming from, darling? Where, where's it coming from? Yeah, Very good. good. And so, and, but of course it was never to be, or your, it was never shown, because it, it didn't didn't get finished because of the strike and because you know picking up and a new producer coming in yeah and at that time you know nobody's thinking about longevity then you know the actors are thinking about overseas sales yeah you know 43 countries that you're not going to get your um your money from you know because that's you know that's what made Doctor Who so attractive um repeats of Doctor Who were sort of at that time unheard of you know repeats of Doctor Who the comedy series yeah maybe um not dramas. Yeah. Yeah. They just made new ones. You know. yeah. And you, of course, it's unusual in that you've got to spend some time on location, which yeah. is what the actors always seem to enjoy oh, yeah. more than anything. And, and at that time, you know, yeah, it's just great. And as I say, you know, I, I met Olivia, it was Olivia Bazalgette then, um, when we were doing it. So um, it was great. Yeah, it was good. We had such a laugh. It's great. So you met on Doctor Who and have been married ever since. We've been married ever since. We've got three kids, uh, two girls and a boy. Um, same as I said, Sebastian is um, an actor, and Claudia is at Oxford doing engineering, and um, Natasha is at, um, in radio. She's working for Classic and Capital. And um, so, well, we've alluded to because I think you know when I say to people, um, "Oh, I'm going to interview so and so today," and if I go, if I'm going to yeah. interview Daniel Hill, they go, yeah. "Oh, which one?" I go, "He's the guy from No Place Like Home and Waiting for God." And they go, "Yeah." And then, uh, do you think are they the two things that you think spring to mind most for you? Inevitably, your and only fools you know, the Christmas special. I can't yeah. tell you which is you know one week in a day's work in nineteen. 
89 and you know I can't tell you it is just it goes on and on and on No Place Like Home was I they'd already shot um, the pilot and so they had a green light on it and I went in to play a part which was not sort of casting for me at all you know I, I, I was always playing sort of ju- you know juvenile leads you know but he was the sort of character comedy character but I thought he was a great character and I and I, I went in to see Robin Nash who um, Bill Gaunt was there as well and um, it was three episodes out of seven and I I just thought and they gave me it and I thought yeah great you know fine but it then, I left at the end of series five, end of series five, and um, I wanted to get back to drama. Yes, I wanted to get back to drama. And I, very luckily, I'd, I'd been in a play at the Orange Tree in Richmond, and I'd written to a director who had offered me a job years before, and I said, oh, you know, if you're doing anything, you know, think of me. And he rang me up and he said, look, I'm coming to see your play. He said, but I've got two big projects and I'd like you to be in both of them. And I said, what? And he said, well, they're both, one is uh, Screen 2, which then was, you know, like a movie for the BBC. He said, and the other one's called a Video 2, which is going to be the equivalent of a Screen 2, but done in, in the studio. He said, and I'd like you to be in both of them, but why don't you come along and see me? And I went, I can't, I can't believe it. So I went in, and I walked out with these two great big scripts, which as actors we know we can laden down. And I, I bumped into um, Ted Petherbridge coming out, and um, he said, "Lucky boy." <laughs> <laughs> and I, um, so I did those, and then I did a series called The Bretts for about eighteen months, which is American English thing. And I think by the end of that, I. I really want to get back to comedy. I really did. And luckily, the Olivia was working in comedy department on another Only Fools that I'd been offered something in which I couldn't do. And then, um, another one, the, the next one that was being done was Jolly Boys Outing. And I was cast as Stephen in that. And I can't, I can't tell you, I, I, I got... Waiting for God was a direct result of that. And Gareth Gwendolyn cast me. Um, and Harvey Baines at that point was um, going to be fat, bald, and, you know, um, in his 50s, which is what I am now. Um, and, and I said, oh, it's not me. And he said, it is. He said, just, just do it the way you want to do it. Um, and Steph Cole and I have worked together on... We worked in the theatre, she went to drama school, not with me, but about ten years before me. Um, and we, as I say, theatre, we'd done television together, we did Tenko and another play uh, for the Beeb, and eventually. But she had no idea that I was going to be in it. She didn't know until the read-through that I was the, the other chap. Uh, Graham was, was Graham quite a character. Graham was a fantastic character, and he... He got the job on Waiting for God by default because it, it wasn't, wasn't going to be him. Um, they'd cast, uh, you know the chap who plays um, the butler in Batman, the, the first remake of Batman? Michael Goff. Michael Goff. The first person to play Tom, or was going to play Tom, was Michael Goff. 
Michael Goff was cast and Gareth had, you know, all the deal was done and everything and Michael Goff turned up for the costume fitting and at the end of it, the costume designer said, look, I'll see you in the studio. And he said, um, well, yeah, well, he said, I, I thought we were, we were doing it all on film. He said, no, we've got, got the live audience. And he went, live audience? I don't do live audiences. No, 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 no. So he called up Gareth Gwen and said, Look, I, I can't do it. I really can't do it. I, I thought it was just a you know, straightforward comedy drama. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Put the phone down, walked out at the front of his um, flat and um, bumped into Graham and said, Come with me. Come with me. Got him back inside the flat and said, Look, Ran Gareth Graham and said, I've got the bloke who should be it. This is him. And put him on the phone. My goodness. And Gareth looked him up and went, Oh, yes, yeah, great. And that's how he got the job. That's an incredible story. Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm glad I asked. It's that. true. That's great. Gosh. Yeah. Luck plays yeah. such a. Huge part. Huge part in Huge part. Doesn't it? Huge. I mean, the pathways that you go down that. You think, oh, what am I doing this for? You know, you're desperate, you've got no money, and you're thinking, Christ, you know, I've, I've got to do that. And then suddenly, completely out of left field, you get this fantastic opportunity. Or, you know, you think something which is going to be, you know, the change of your life, like, you know, Screen 2 at the BBC, which, you know, I now can look back on and, you know, laugh. But, you know, at the time, you think, this is it, you know, big lead in a big movie. I think it cost a million pounds to make it, and I think they've got one million viewers opposite, you know, Liverpool versus Manchester United on a Sunday night. And, you know... Never been seen that, again. That's it, that's showbiz, you know. And, um, and some of the cheapest television can sometimes be the best. I mean, there were scenes in No Place Like Home, which you know, a lot of people would, you know, turn their nose up, which actually were best, better drama than anything I did on television. And in Waiting for God, the way it dealt with death, the way it dealt with life, and it fills a need that people have after a very long day at work, grinding away, most of them, you know, and for very little money, just sit back and just, you know, have something wash over them that makes them laugh and makes them cry. Um, at times, not all the time, but occasionally. And that, that's, you know, good drama, good comedy, you know. There shouldn't be sort of boxes for them, really. But there was real prejudice there. I mean, immense... I couldn't believe it. Um, I did a pilot for something called News Time that actually went out. And the morning after, I was going for lunch with a very, very senior producer at his home. And it was a big sort of get-together of all the people that he wanted for the, the autumn season. Um, and, I, and, I, and I turned up and he said... Um, Daniel, Daniel, he said, I, I, I'm very, very keen for you to do a series for me in the autumn. And I said, oh, great, great, fantastic. He said, um, what have you been out to? And I said, oh, I, I was in a, um, a, a thing on telly last night. He said, well, what were you in? And I said, I, I think on BBC Two, it's called News Time. He said, what's that? And I said, it's a comedy. And he went, a what? You? Now, I'd already been in No Place Like Home for about two years, but he'd never seen me. And he went, you? He said, well... Good God. I just walked away. And that was it. That was it. I never got another job with that producer again. That was it. I think, you know, to sum that all up, that when I, when I did my first telly, um, 
Oh. I was actually 15 when I did my first time. I did a, one episode of Tom Brown's School Days because um, somebody had seen me at the old theatre. And I, and I loved doing it. But I realised really quickly that television eats you up and spits you out. There is no career. Anybody who says there's a career in television, there isn't. I, I've done everything in television. I really have. I've done drama series, plays, screen two, sketches, sitcom, history programs, schools programs, children's programs, and they come and they go. And if you believe the crap, then you're in for a really difficult time. But if you just take it for what it is and move on, then it's fine. And, you know, if people come up to you and say, oh, well done, I loved you in blah, that's fantastic. That's worth everything. But just don't take it too seriously. It's a job. That's what it is. You just get on with it. You know? And if you happen to go from, you know, serious to serious to serious to serious, great. You know, but, and if it stops for two years, well, nobody owes you anything. That's it. You know, go and get a, you know, job in a lawyer's office or something. When I was um, 26, um, <coughs> I was asked to go back to Bristol, to the old Vic, um, to be the juvenile lead, the, the you know, proper now, you know, I'd, I'd done my training and I'd done all that and I'd been off to rep and I'd done a West End show and I'd done lots of telly and I was asked to go back and do a play about Thomas Chatterton and uh, <coughs> I was going to go and stay with my mum and dad. Um, but I hadn't seen them for Christmas because I'd been away with my girlfriend who I thought, oh, I'm so in love with her, I must be with her. And my mum and dad were really upset. I'd got three, um, I had three siblings, you know, my two brothers and sister. <coughs> so they weren't on their own. And, um, and I thought, well, you know, there will be plenty of Christmases when I'll see my mum and dad. And then um, when I got back, I... Um, my dad rang me on the Friday, and he was my, my age, less a year, and um, so he was 56, and he said, um, where are you coming down? And I said, yeah, I'll be there on Monday morning. He said, are you going to come here first? And I said, no, I'll go straight to the theatre, and I'll see, I'll see you at, you know, five o'clock. Okay. You know, uh, you are coming to stay? Yeah, I am, Dan, I am. I'll see you then. Bye, bye. So I get on the train on Monday morning, and I'm talking to this um, actor called Richard Howard, and I said... Um, now your mum and dad and I said they're fine yeah they're fine <clears throat> I said and then I got to Bristol and I thought should I go home and I thought now nah, I'll go straight to the theatre yeah I better anyway, so I got to the theatre got in had, the old, had a sandwich went down to the stage and there was you know big read through 36 people and I could see someone talking interrupting the director stage manager then she came over to me and said there's a call for you so I got down to, um, I said, is it my age? As you do. And I got down to um, the stage door, and the stage doorkeeper said, there's another call coming through about the same thing, and it's from your brother. Which one do you want to take? And I said, uh, my brother. <coughs> my brother, Alan, said, Dan, I don't know how to tell you this, but I, your dad's turned blue. And I said, what do you mean he's turned blue? And he said, I don't know, Dan. He said, that's just what I've heard from... <coughs> his neighbour and then the next call was from my brother-in-law who said I don't know how to tell you this but your dad's dead and I said well, how what do you mean I said I'm only just got it and he said well he's he's lying in front of me now he's dead 
he's died of a heart attack, they think, and I could hear ambulances and things, and I said, I'll, I'll come down and get you. So I got back home, took about 20 minutes, and I just thought, God. And I thought at that point that this was going to be three months of bliss. I planned it all out in my head about what what a great time it was going to be. Two great shows and all that rubbish. And my dad was gone on the first day back in Bristol. And I, and it was hell. My family almost, it was like a nuclear bomb had hit it. And once it was all over, once I got back to London, I, it really changed me. Re- I was only 26 and I didn't have my dad. And I, I just thought, <clears throat> you know, it's, you have to take the moment. You have to take the moment. And I know everybody says it, but it's true. You've got to take the moment. It's, you know, it's, you know, the game that I'm in is fantastic. And it can also be appalling and dreadful. And I've got lots of friends who've had, you know, pretty dreary lives because of it and have been consumed by it. But, you know, it's treated me well. But, you know, it's not life. It's just playing. And, you know, to get up and play is brilliant. And when you're not, it's depressing. But <clears throat> it's not life and death. It's just a telly program, or it's just a theatre, or it's you know just a play that you've written. Of course, you love it, but life, family, relationships, friends—that's what's important. Yeah, it's great. I've been lucky. I've got three kids. I've got a lovely wife. What more do you want? Well, and uh, so well, we'll bring it to an end. Thank you for your time. There's the two questions I should have pre-warned you about this, because um, this is where the brain freezes. Because you've kindly given your time, and this is a free podcast, we ask the listeners to donate to a charity of your yes. choice. Oh, Peach, Peach, which is um, it's a charity for um, children and parents and parents of children who have autism and. Um, who are getting uh, sort of um, this wonderful therapy which was started in uh, Norway and then Los Angeles which um, you know I'm a great supporter of and I, and I think they do wonderful work and they're called Peach P-E-A-C-H Peach so please give because they are wonderful and I shall thank you um, not quite personally but uh, I shall give a big wave the next time I'm on the box I'll be Peachy and uh, it's Doctor Who's 50th anniversary it's started the day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy Uh, and so what's your message to the Doctor Who fans out there? I just have such admiration guys it's it's a great show isn't it and I think the rebirth of it has been fantastic as well and there will be other rebirths in the future it will go on and on it's a great show and it's got huge following you know that you're all wonderful and great to be part of I love going and you know signing all the faces and things because you're you know you're the politest lot in the world alright and take care and you know enjoy the year Doctor Daniel Hill thank you very much Uh Brilliant. That was great. Thank you. Hope that was all right. Yeah, fine. My thanks to Dan, whose charity is Peach, as he said there. 
website is www.peach.org.uk p-e-a-c-h.org.uk any donation you could make would be gratefully received Uh, I'm not going to play a clip of the next interviewee because it's a part two of somebody who's done a lot of Doctor Who uh, and is connected to Big Finish by this year trailer you're about to hear so listen to that and then join me next time until then farewell Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. I had a dream which was not all a dream. The bright sun was extinguished and the stars did wander darkling in the eternal space, rayless and pathless, and the icy earth swung blind and blackening in the moonless air. Morn came and went, and came, and brought no day. And men forgot their passions in the dread of this, their desolation. Frankenstein! Frankenstein! Marvin, time to begin.